What up, y'all? This is Brittany. I'm Mandisa. And I'm Jamal. And we are your hosts of. We're your hosts of. And we're the host of. Living Millennial. Living Millennial. Living Millennial. A podcast where you'll be hearing three different perspectives and emerging stories from three different millennials on everyday life and trending topics. Hey friends, so we wanted to give y'all a heads up that we do have a lapse in sound quality in this episode, but it was too good of a conversation not to share with y'all. So thanks for your patience with us. We'll do better going forward and please don't let this affect your review on us. (laughs) Enjoy. Hey y'all, welcome back to Living Millennial. This is Brittany. It's Mandisa. And this is Jamal. Ooh, ooh, and we are so excited to have a friend with us, Kashana. Hello, guys. How is everyone? Hey. Hey. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. This is going to be an important episode, especially while living in a time we are today um, with a shift in our individual and social norms. So we'll be talking about mental health and wellness in the black community. And of course, we wanted Kashana, who's a mental health clinician on because she is an expert in the field, an expert in the field. (laughs) (laughs) So tell our audience, um, you know, not just who you are, but what it is, what it is that you do. So my name is Kashana. I am a mental health clinician and I am a clinical psychology doctoral uh, candidate, meaning I have advanced to candidacy and I am on my way to internship and then I graduate. (laughs) Um, Basically what I do in mental health is I do a little bit more of a specialized area of mental health. My focus and emphasis is on clinical health psychology, which is the intersection of how medical diagnoses and mental health affect each other. So for instance, if a patient had cancer, but they were experiencing depression from cancer, so I would work with them alongside um, their other health professionals with focusing on their mental health, but also overall wellness. Another area that I focus on is neuropsychology, which basically is how the brain and our nervous system affect our cognition. So with that, I do a lot of diagnosing and testing neurological disorders, such as um, testing with Alzheimer's or dementia patients. I also do neurodevelopmental testing, learning disorder testing for um, individuals who are maybe on the spectrum um, or who are going to school and they're wanting to get tested to get accommodations, but also traumatic brain injury individuals who have um, experiencing some lapse in memory and things of that sort. So that's my area. of expertise or focus that I like, but I also do psychotherapy. So if you have ever seen a therapist or anything such as anxiety, depression, or whatever the spectrum might be, I'm also able to do psychotherapy as well. I just focus on those two areas a little bit more. So hospital work, work in um, skilled nursing facilities with geriatric patients and, um, a little bit of private practice is what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. 
That's Amazing. dope. <laughs> that's, a, that's a full plate. <laughs> it is, but it's exciting. It's fun. It's always something new. You never know what you're going to expect when, you, when I did go into work. So you mentioned testing. So any work that you're doing now or anything that you're testing on now, how new is it? So testing has been around for a while. A lot of these things have been around for a while. It's just they're becoming more interdisciplinary with other healthcare disciplines. So if you go to a hospital, you see um, psychologists and other mental health clinicians working in hospitals more. You see them working in skilled nursing facilities more. You see them in private practice. You see them in forensics a little bit more because now we're in an age where people are recognizing that you can't just work with someone on their physical health if their mental health is not um, cohesive. So it's this whole biopsychosocial model that a lot of um, healthcare facilities are starting to adapt. And we're, we're moving away from the traditional psychotherapy where it's outpatient, it's private practice, it's kind of psychodynamic. We're moving away from that. It's still there, but we're moving more into other areas. Our expertise is needed in other areas as well. So it's, it is, for, it's emerging more and more. And I think when people, um, if you notice it more, you'll see it around in hospitals and different um, facilities as well. But testing has been around for, for a pretty good while. That's pretty cool. I, you, the listeners can't see this, but like Kashana's face is lighting up as she's talking about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I like, I love it. Yeah. I, I could, it's, I could tell. So, I mean, and I see the passion, which means that you're definitely doing something that you should be doing, right? You're in your purpose. So yeah, no problem. You guys, we are in, week two of this COVID-90, I almost said 96. See, I don't even know my numbers anymore. <laughs> I don't even know my numbers anymore, but we are in week two of COVID-19. Um, the last time we talked about this, we were talking about how much it's impacted, you know, our lives. Um, and DC, you talked about, you know, having to cut the, um, the show short or having to cut it sooner. Kamal, yeah. uh, yourself, you talked about you know, how you've had a little less work as well. Um, and then for myself, I'm working from home. So Kashana, we're interested to know um, how it's impacted you. And then let's also talk about, you know, just where we are now in week two. Yeah. Um, so for me, I was working in um, the office, seeing patients, clients in the office, and also going to the hospital to see patients. However, once the governor and the mayor um, did the shutdown order, you know, we had to close down. The beauty of what we do is there's an area of mental health that's emerging more. And I think it's something that we've kind of been pushed into. So it's called telepsychiatry or telehealth. And that's where you would see patients via telephone or via um, video conferencing. But of course, it's something HIPAA compliant that protects the privacy of the patient or the client. I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. So if you see, hear me say patient, client, same thing. It does, um, it, it gives a little bit more of assurance to 
to our clients and patients knowing that we're still available to them. I think it's a transition more for the clients that I work with particularly, um, just because they're used to coming into the office so much. And now where they're doing a session by phone, if they don't have video, or we might be doing it by video if they don't want to talk on the phone and they want to ha still have some sense of that person-to-person -person contact. So I think that we've been pushed into a new area for a lot of mental health clinicians who haven't done teletherapy before, but it's something that is needed because while we do have the ERs and the doctors and the nurses, we definitely need those healthcare providers, but we also need mental health care providers as well. And I believe that insurance has been a little bit loose now on their rules as far as how you can see clients and patients and billing and things of that sort. So it makes it more accessible too, just because we are in this pandemic age. And I, I mean, I know I've seen a doctor before via an app, just, you know, just a regular physician. And that was so helpful. Um, and I've even seen apps prior to this or um, virtual resources prior to this that allowed people to see um, mental health professionals and health professionals all around, um, you know, virtually. So, um, so I really hope that this blows up because it's, yeah. yeah, it's beneficial. Yeah. Jamal, how are you doing with all of this? I'm wonderful. I truly am. <laughs> I, I I like the pause. Of course, it's uh, catastrophic what's happening around the world with people and their health and the death rates keep going up and the cases keep going up in a major way. We're learning something new every day. So that's something that I'm definitely aware of and meditating on and like sending positive vibes that way. But I'm just doing everything I can to stay healthy, you know, enjoying the day to day. I'm never at home this much ever. In LA, I've never seen my apartment this much. And so I have a lot of gratitude for the pause because I've just been able to see the simple beauties in every day that I just run in and out of. Um, you know, walking where I can walk instead of driving to the grocery store, it's like I can take that long walk. You know, I ran to another store that was two miles away because I said, hey, I have the time. I'm not rushing anywhere. So let's actually use this time to stay healthy, stay aware of what's going on and to do some self-love and self-care and do something new every day that you don't normally do. If you don't run outside, do it today. <laughs> that sounds like a, a commercial ad or something. <laughs> like that really, if you don't run outside, do it today. <laughs> uh, well, that's beautiful. I love that you're loving yourself. I'm really, I know, I'm sorry. Wink, I wink. I'm really what you need, Brittany? What you need in your life? <laughs> I'm grown. <laughs> that part, that part. D, how are, how are you doing in these? This is week two, too, right? For you? This is, uh, I don't even know. I'm on, I'm part of the day whatever camp. I'm just like, I've stopped keeping track of days. My brother's actually the barometer of time for me because he's still working. He's working from home Monday through Friday. And so he still recognizes the weekend as the weekend where I never did that because I worked on weekends anyway. So um, similar to Jamal, I'm, I'm trying to take care of myself as, as best as I can um, by, I'm doing a lot of resting and sleeping. My, uh, 
the bags under my eyes, I feel like have started to go away. <laughs> um, I'm learning how to play chess, actually, um, which is great. I actually just got um, the game came in the mail uh, yesterday. So thank you to the Amazon delivery man who delivered it to the door. Um, so my brother and I, uh, we're going to bust that open tonight and, and start a round of chess. But I've been playing via an app with a friend of mine. Uh, so it's helpful to learn a new skill. And that's something that I can do anywhere. Like I can go on a walk and, you know, still be playing the game. Um, and I am my brother's official taste tester of all of the things that he's <laughs> cooking and learning how to bake during this time. He's about to learn to make bagels. So I'm very excited about that. I'm coming Ooh. over yes. for quarantine. You can <laughs> throw the window. I was just about to say, you stand six feet away and I'm going to just toss it into your bag. <laughs> Amazing. Love it. Love it. I love yes. that. Can so, you throw some bagels in the mail? Girl, but are they going to be good by the time? Are they even going to be in the box? <laughs> Listen, what, the that part. Listen, just throw it in the toaster and it all works out, okay? Wait, I don't have a toaster. Damn it. <laughs> put, it go. put it on the skillet and just cover it. <laughs> there you go. Target that and part. Walmart are still open. They are. <laughs> Target is having same day delivery, too. Don't enable me. See, here's the thing. I'm actually. <laughs> so here's the thing. Where I am in my two weeks is I'm really trying not to spend because I am fortunate enough to still be working. Um, this is week two for me and working remotely um, and working from home, should I say. But like, I do work for a nonprofit. I have to recognize that. So I'm trying not to spend um, more um, or even I'm even trying to downsize like, you know, what I'm already accustomed to spending because um, I really want to come out of this, you know, still stable. The benefit for me has been, you know, staying at home because I'm just like you, Jamal. I'm, I I'm barely home. I leave in the morning before four o'clock in the morning. And I sometimes I don't come home until eight o'clock at night. So, you know, so just to be able to like sit and chill and get my house together with recently moving um, and really just create a nice homey space. That's really what I've been focusing on. Um, I caught myself one good time last week though, y'all. I literally was like, where am I? What am I doing? What's going on? Oh my God, I need people. Like, you know that Ari Lennox song, New Apartment? And at the end, she's like, oh my God, I need people. <laughs> like, I legit had that same, like, epiphany. So I just had to go outside real quick. Um, because if I don't collaborate, I'm learning. If I don't talk to people, if I don't collaborate, um, I cannot be truly creative. Like. I need that interaction in order to kind of come up with ideas and, and, you know, and, and, and grow those ideas. So I caught myself and I went outside and I played a little bit, but being safe still. Um, but I do, I, I mean, one thing I'm continuing to see and hear is that folks are like, just make sure that you are taking care of yourself and make sure that you're finding something to do um, for your uh, mental wellness. And with that being said, I got something for us to do. What you got for us to do? It's time <laughs> to play Would 
you rather. Rather. Would I rather go outside? No, I'm just playing. That part. That part. God damn it, that part. <laughs> so for those who do not know, Would You Rather is a game that we love to play. So how it works is I am going to read off two different scenarios and each of us has to say which of the scenarios we'd rather be in or do. Now, here's the hard part. You can't change shit. (laughs) Now, that's a really good reminder because we love to change shit. (laughs) We change anything, okay? Anything about the scenario. So once you tell us which you'd rather, give us your reason why, and then we'll move on. How's that? The first one. Would you rather be unable to move your body when it rains or be unable to stop moving when the sun is out. Oh, I got to move in the sunshine. <laughs> that's me. You that's like me. that is very that's very much you. Yes. I know the first option sounds very cozy, but let's be real. If I got to go when it's right, I got to go. I'd rather <laughs> not be able to stop moving cuz I can pace. You can pace. I ain't got to go far. But I can pace. At okay. Least. Okay, that was good. And I'm getting a workout in and sunshine. I knew you're gonna go okay. that work. I knew you're gonna say something about working out. <laughs> I just went for a run. <laughs> you know. Get it. Yeah, that's yes. Give me all the sunshine. Okay. What about you, Kashana? Um, I would rather be in the sunshine. Um, I'm a busybody. Like even this whole being stuck in the house, I'm just still moving around trying to find something to do so definitely the the second one <laughs> okay i like that what about you jamal complicated <laughs> i thought about something <laughs> because if you're out in the sunshine and you can't stop moving that didn't mean that you're not sweating and sweat's not in your eye and you can't like, you know, rejuvenate yourself. And if you're out in the rain and you can't move, that's not to say that it's a springtime or summertime rain where the rain is refreshing like you in Bali or something. It could be the <laughs> winter and it could be freezing rain pouring down on you and you can't move. So both are actually horrible choices. <laughs> but <goodness>. I... <laughs> Would prefer, I would rather I uh, be outside in the rain and not be able to move in the summertime oh. in Bali. <laughs> in Bali, that part. Jamal said, let me make this work for me. That part. You see how you see why we have these reminders? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we, we are all on the West Coast where it doesn't rain a lot. And so if you chose the rain thing, you get to live your life however you want to all the time. <laughs> that part and you know what that's actually my choice i go with the rain i love the rain y'all i love it yes i absolutely love the rain i did not know how much i loved it until i moved to san diego from chicago i was like oh wait it's been months and it has not rained yet what the hell is going on so i love the rain and i love to like play in the rain and you know jump in the puddles and everything so not being able to move while in the rain as long as it's not like pouring and it's not filling up with water over my face. <laughs> drowning. I, yeah, drowning. Okay, the next one. I like this one a lot, actually. Would you rather have skin that changes color 
based on your emotions or tattoos that will appear all over your body depicting what you did the day before? That's easy. I'd rather have um, my body change colors. Body change. Okay, <laughs> say why. Well, I don't have any tattoos, not that I'm against it, but I don't want everybody knowing what I did the day before. <laughs> I like my I like my privacy. That's I'm exposed too much. <laughs> yeah, um, get it, girl. Now I'm like, what you do yesterday, girl? Now I want to know what you did that you don't want us to know. Left. <laughs> Mimo- mimosas and sleep. Ooh. <laughs> a mimosa tattoo sounds kind of cute, though. But all over your body. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> right. How many mimosas you didn't have? If you sleep, if you sleeping like this, and then a whole bunch of mimosa glasses, then you sleeping like this all over your body. That's right. true. <laughs> Very true. All I would but- rather mm-hmm. um, have my body change color with how I'm feeling. Yeah. Why? It's because I don't want everybody knowing what I did the day before. If it was your business, you would have been there. You right. I like that. Uh Uh-oh. Mandisa has questions. (laughs) My turn. I have a clarifying question. How, Sway? How? (laughs) (laughs) The tattoos are all over my body? Or what if I only did two things, right? Then that's just two tattoos. Sis. All the things. All the things. Yeah. You know what? My first tattoo experience was painful. So if these tattoos come up and just appear in no pain, I'm going with a daily shift to tattoos. Oh, that's nice. And I don't mind. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather my activity show. I keep thinking of being, of it being like hiking tattoos and (laughs) eating tattoos. (laughs) I mean, some days, you know, it's going to be a little something else, but I feel like I can direct (laughs) the energy of the tattoos to be in more private places. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. Well, I'm glad you picked that. I'm actually not surprised you picked that. You are a very productive person. So I'm not surprised. I definitely don't need tattoos on me, folks knowing <laughs> what the hell I be doing, because I probably can't channel your energy. And you probably gonna have, <laughs> sorry, mom, you probably gonna have vibrators all over me. So I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. You don't have to be kidding. Live your best life. No, I'm, to- I'm totally kidding. It would just be one vibrator, not a whole bunch of them. So that's fair. Drake, you better get your Amazon wish list together. Uh, oh my God. Right. That's a oop. Yeah, no, no, I don't look on Amazon for that. I have a friend who's a, a dealer, so I gotta make that work. You guys down for one more? You ready to get into the discussion? One more good one. One more good one. Okay. One more. Oh, you said a good one. Damn, now I got to find a really good one. Okay. Would you rather vomit uncontrollably for one minute every time you hear the happy birthday song (laughs) or get a headache that lasts for the rest of the day every time you see a bird, including pictures or video? Wow. I would definitely just go with the happy birthday (laughs) one because I just want to go to birthday parties. And (laughs) wait. You so you'd rather vomit every time you hear birthday party? 
I mean, happy birthday. Happy birthday song. Yeah, because I just will evade those situations. I wouldn't go to restaurants anymore. Oh, you wouldn't go. Okay. I have birthday parties. But like, you see birds and a headache that lasts all day, that means you won't have a headache for the rest of your life. Every day. Yeah, bird. That means you have a headache for the rest of the day. Like, I literally just saw one pass my window. So that would have been a headache. You're done for. You're done for. Yeah, that's true. Whose birthday is today? We don't know. You're right. Right. It sounds like we all agree with Jamal. You know what's coming? I would just carry bags with me, like my vomit bags, ready to go in case I in case One I'm second. somewhere. Your vomit bags. <laughs> Amazon Prime. <laughs> See, that's what I mean by productive and prepared. This girl talking about her having her vomit bags ready. Yep. <laughs> hey, at least you wouldn't be guilty about eating the cake. Okay. No, I no, I'd come back. I'd be like, I'm gonna be right back while y'all sing. <laughs> And then I'm going to come back and get the cake. I, I ain't going to miss out on the cake. <laughs> I know, but what I'm saying is you won't feel guilty about eating the cake because you're going to puke it up. Oh. Is that... Oh, or or I'll, I'll have made... I don't have no before. underlining... I don't have no underlining <laughs> issues. Don't think that that says anything. <laughs> it's, awesome. it's all right to keep your cake down. <laughs> that part is okay. <laughs> I keep... My cake stays down. Notice the, okay. The, okay. Notice the cakes your girl got now. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, we've had the laughs and we've been light and now it's time for the discussion. And today I want to have the important conversation on mental health and mental wellness, specifically within the black community. Um, A really quick background story and how I've come to know Kashana. Um, At the beginning of March, I believe it was, I did, you know, a cute little day trip to LA. I've talked about it on the show before, and I had gone to an event that was discussing mental wellness um, for women of color, and Kashana was on the panel, and sis was preaching, like, Every single thing that she was saying, I was here for it. I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And uh, was just really intrigued by all the knowledge that she holds. So I was really excited to um, reach out to her and ask if she can be on the show. And of course, I was even more excited when she said yes. So with that, mental health is a growing conversation. It's definitely a necessary conversation. We're certainly still learning about mental health and mental wellness um, in the black community, and we're certainly still learning to accept it. Uh, With my experience, um, you know, particularly with our elders, trying to have the conversation about mental wellness and mental health has been has been hard. Um, to be honest, the conversation may not even last long. <laughs> like, it may not. So to bring up, you know, the idea of seeing a therapist or, you know, doing yoga um, or other type of mindful activities and resources, um, you know, it could very well be their first you know, their first time having that conversation. So again, it just wouldn't last long. Um, So I definitely am interested to hear everyone else's experience in addressing mental health within your communities. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like our parents, mental health today, uh, it's more accessible than it was for our parents in regards of like programming, commercials, everyone's talking about mental health up and down the street. It's on trend right now, which is a beautiful thing because regardless of what level you're speaking about it on, 
we need to be having that conversation. And I realized what a privilege that is that my mother did not have and my father did not have um, because they were raised in the systems of, you know, you pray about it and it goes away and a different type of meditation, you know, faith without works is what I like to call it. <laughs> uh, but so I definitely see it as a privilege today. Today, speaking about it, I realized that with my family and my parents, their ears perk up more because I do think that you have to train a society and, tra and train a people to be familiar with new conversations. And so I see their ears perk up more, but that's because all of our programming is talking about it these days in one way, shape or form. So I'm seeing that shift begin to happen. Word. I can say that with conversations of people of older generations and specifically talking about my family members, um, I feel like they're more open and we have more conversation centered around um, the physical aspects and the physical connections of mental, uh, mental health and mental wellness like yoga, um, Pilates, and just a lot of things kind of center on what physical exercise or physical therapy can do for the mind. Um, and I, I think I am kind of the hippy dippy one in my family in that way that I'm like, yeah, um, I, I try to practice yoga regularly, um, both for the mental and physical benefits of it, um, and try to to encourage and challenge them to do that also, just as like a level one bridge. Um, but I will say that the more in-depth conversations that I've had about mental illness, mental wealth, um, sorry, mental health, have been with my peers, um, specifically my best friend um, and other mostly younger actors who I've come in contact with and have gotten to be friends with um, over shows and, and various productions. I more so go into depth with them about things like anxiety, depression, especially in the entertainment industry when a lot of our lives are up and down, or especially as, as a, an actor, a lot of them, it's like going through audition season and what that can do to your mind um, and being in different places of ups and downs in your life and how that um, challenges their mental health. That's amazing. I think we're in a beautiful age, you know, we are in the technology age, but we're even more advanced than we were even a decade ago. And so, like you all mentioned, you definitely see um, the conversation happening, whether it's on social media, it's on the internet, you see it with celebrities are coming out um, more about different difficulties they may have had with mental health. You just see it all over however even though you know we're still progressing um the black community there's still a stigma there and um a lot of our preferred coping mechanisms is religion in the church you know how pastors you know they're now getting counseling degrees and and these sorts of things it, it's still rooted in that community because that community has been the um the centerpiece for, for generations uh, prior to today. And so I think we still have more work to do to destigmatize that and to make it more accepting because we can have the conversation with our peers and um, even people that we work with, but trying to have the conversation with maybe certain family members, it's still that stigma that it's slowly going to take 
like you mentioned, a village to to help steer that conversation into a different direction. Because in order to have physical um, health, you need mental wellness. So it all goes back into that biopsychosocial model of just wellness in general. Everything has to be complete in order to be truly healthy, if that makes sense. No, that makes that makes total sense. And I know when I have conversations about um, wellness in general with my friends, um, they really are bringing together a number of resources um, to, you know, to get to the point of fulfillment for them, right? And it all looks different for us. Um, and one thing you had said before, Kashana, and what's talking to you is I love how you pulled that mental health relates to a lot of different things. Which for me, hearing that, that means that we may very well have to address our mental wellness in different ways um, because mental wellness, I mean, you list it like, you know, it, it relates to relationships and sex, stress being one of the biggest things because you can become stressed from relationships and sex and family and school and transportation and all those things. Um, so yeah, I think that all makes sense as to why we need to pull um, from different resources. Um, and with that being said too, I think it's also very important to identify not just works for you, but who may be able to work for you. So my, so my, first and only experience right now actually was seeing a therapist I think I was like maybe 11 or 12 because Shana doesn't know this all the listeners know this I was a bad ass kid okay like I was bad to the point where like my parents were like send her to military school do something so and I remember my parents both my parents together taking me to um a a psychiatrist but it was like this old white man which nothing that's nothing wrong with that however I could tell that how he was speaking to me how he was um how he just looked at me you know I could tell that this wasn't someone that I felt comfortable enough to speak to with me being a young black girl um I don't even think I was a teenager yet so but then he, this is the main part I remember about it, is he later took my parents and myself into a room and he like tried to, I think he diagnosed me and then he tried to prescribe me a, a prescription. And you guys, my dad was like, my dad looked at my mom and he goes, hey, uh, take Shorty to the car. And he sat in that room and cussed that psychiatrist out, I think, because even then he understood. And I've never had a conversation with my dad about mental health or anything like that. But even he understood that speaking to someone um, for probably 30 minutes um, and then trying to prescribe her something and all those things, like he even knew that that wasn't going to be a benefit, right? So... I think identifying what works for us um, is also very, very important. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You touched on a lot of um, different unique points that lead to why there's such a stigma for seeking services within 
the black community. And the first thing that you touched on kind of goes back to um, what we like to call transgenerational trauma. So it's, it's trauma or an event that happens to maybe your great, great grandparents and then it's trickled down. And so um, unfortunately, I mean, I think we all know this, it's been, it's been talked about in different um, research and different types of um, news outlets and things of that sort. But back um, in the day, black individuals were kind of science experiments. And so when you talk about like, like the Tuskegee Airmen um, trial where, you know, that unfortunate incident happened, a, a lot of that trauma is passed down to generations. And so it may not be the exact incident that occurred, but what it looks like is there's direct um, consequences from it. So whether it's depression or, um, just feeling anxious or stressed in certain situations or not being trustful of other people because these things have been passed down where there's a there's a fear of being of going to the doctor whether it's even just your physician and being prescribed medication or even taking a vaccination you know these are types of traumas that have been passed down just because of what this particular community have gone through so when you mentioned that your father immediately peeked up when he just talked to you for 30 minutes and was trying to prescribe you a prescription, that triggered something in him, whether or not he was an advocate for mental health or whatnot. So these are types of triggers that get passed down from generations to generations. And so when we talk about just seeking services, there's been so many systematic injustices from, you have historical, economic, socio-political influences that still encompass a society today that lead to mistrust amongst clinicians or bias among clinicians, fear for people seeking services. Um, we, we see it with black women who are pregnant and, and having babies all the time. So you just touched on a lot of different aspects that are wrong with healthcare in general. Yes. Things that need to be, you know, definitely the conversation needs to keep going and trainings, of course, need to happen because you may not always get the type of doctor that you want or the doctor that looks like you, but definitely cultural training needs to happen in those situations and specific questions related to a particular demographic can help move treatment in a collaborative way so that both parties feel comfortable and there's not a therapeutic rupture. Which I'm glad that you touched on representation within the, the field of healthcare. Um, which is so great that you are here talking with us. Um, but as you were speaking, I was thinking in my search for a doctor in San Diego, I was scrolling through because they have their pictures and a little bio with them. And I was scrolling through actively trying to find a black doctor um, who, and it wasn't about, um, like in my mind, I was like, oh, I won't even go to the doctor regularly. I was, but when I do, 
I want to see someone who looks like me and who can speak to some part of my experience and, and I can have a dialogue with and feel more comfortable with. Um, that ultimately didn't end up happening with my doctor, my dentist, uh, my optometrist, <laughs> any of my, my healthcare professionals that I go to. Um, and I wonder if that is the same for you all or if you all have found and, and connected with um, and have doctors, dentists, whoever of your own who look like you. Um, my gynecologist is a black female and we are best friends. That's amazing. <laughs> like whenever we see each other, it's like, yeah, she's, she's the sweetest thing. Um, any of my other, I've definitely been on the search and been on Google and, um, whatever the other, not WebMD, but there's another, um, site that gives you like all the credentials of health professionals. Um, I've been there as well. So just try to find folks, um, but it's particularly in San Diego, it's tough. When I was back in home in Chicago, not tough. <laughs> like a lot of my my um, primary primary physicians, um, my optometrists, I remember like those were definitely melanated folks. Um, but San Diego, I mean, you, you're calling it out. It's definitely a lot tougher here. In terms of mental health, though, um, I, I'm very blessed to know a number of uh, Black women in particular who are in the field. So even though I don't seek out their services for myself yet, um, I do know that they are there and I, and I am trying to bring them, you know, as many uh, clients as they can get. Um, and, you know, folks who are looking for black women, um, you know, and those, and those kind of services, it truly is, it really is helpful. I mean, I know we may have folks out there who are like, oh, like, why you gotta find somebody black? Isn't that racist? First of all, no, but it's like, don't you want to speak to somebody who tr you're truly comfortable with and who you know is going to understand you, you know, and the things that you need and it's not going to put the fact that you are um, black and a female in front of just being a normal human, right? So, yeah, I've, I've had doctors across the rainbow of races. I grew up with predominantly black uh, doctors, male and female. And in my adult life, I've had doctors who, you know, white, Asian, black. Um, I'm a real advocate of looking for doctors as well and asking questions. And I'm okay with visiting a doctor and asking them questions if I don't feel like we're building a rapport or a genuine interest in my healthcare based on what I'm looking for, what I feel like I need of support. I have no problem moving along to the next one or asking questions about referrals to other doctors. And I tell my mom and my brother, because um, they're in the doctors a lot with their health care and medical conditions, and I always tell them to advocate for their health. Um, medical professionals, you know, you go to your physician, there's like a line of questioning that they go through, and they're also trained in getting you in and getting you out. And if you don't ask the right questions and advocate for your own health, uh, you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage and a disservice. Because we do, in our community, we expect the healthcare professionals to help us, just to help us, you know, but you have to be aware of your physical health. You have to be aware of your concerns. You have to listen so you know what the follow-up question should be. And if you don't understand something, it's okay to ask them to explain it in another way. 
it's okay to ask it as many times as you need to in order to understand your health. And so I'm an advocate for advocating for your health and doing the research. Yes. Most definitely. And I think that also speaks to my role in clinical health psychology because a lot of patients that I do see in individual therapy, they have um, co-occurring medical issues. And so a lot of my, my work also involves medication management um, of psychotropic medication, just making sure that clients have psychoeducation around it. But I always tell my patients, you need to advocate for your health. It's okay. You know, the, the doctors, they know a lot, but they don't know everything. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And so, you know, it's, if you can find a clinician because you've advocated for yourself who views you as the expert in your life and they're here to assist and, you know, provide you with all of the resources and treatment that you need, but it's a collaborative approach. That's the best kind of care that you can get. And so it's always a reoccurring conversation in sessions with my patients to always advocate for yourself. And even just when I've had to advocate for myself, so kind of stepping out of that therapeutic hierarchy role and just, you know, giving them an example of how they can advocate for themselves. It, you know, it just helps to strengthen and empower them. And I think it is a conversation that we need to have with our friends and family, just, you know, making sure that not only are they good, but just in their care, are you advocating for yourself? Because it is something that a lot of uh, minorities in general are kind of afraid to do. So just speaking up for yourself can ultimately save your life. Facts, 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 facts. That reminds me of how blessed I am to have a family who not only worked in the healthcare industry, but also understood it very well. And uh, that was always their main thing was, you know, make sure that you advocate for yourself and, you know, use the proper terms and language, you know, don't call it a pussy. It's a vagina <laughs> with dealing with, you know, primary uh, health care and things like that. So um, and the main thing I remember <laughs> from my grandmother she was like listen do not wear mismatched bras and panties because you will get clowned if something were to happen no like in the fit yeah for like if you had to go to the er or anything and every time i put my drawers on i think about my grandma i'm like you got it grandma you got it <laughs> nude, nude and nude nude and nude black on black whatever you say so <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> But Kashana, a word that you had used was triggered. And um, Jamal and I had had a really good conversation the other day about that word um, because I'm coming from the perspective of, well, first, my first question is, is that even a medical term? <laughs> but um, I'm coming from the perspective of, you know, just trying to be very cautious in the words that we use in like context. I've heard a number of people use that word and, um, you know, and it's in seemingly lighter context. So it's pretty hard to gauge if this person is truly in need of help and support or not. 
Yeah, my perspective was it is, a, again, because these things are on trend in a beautiful, important way. And so people, as they learn about triggers at different levels, because there's levels to it, you know, um, my whole thing was we can't decide for someone what they mean when they say they're triggered, no matter how big or how small, because we don't know. We don't know their life. We don't know what that trigger means for them. And it looks different for different people. Like my brother says that he's triggered. It can mean something real, but it looks different depending on the severity of what he's going through being bipolar and schizophrenic. And so like, I don't think that it's, uh, that we can decide what someone means when they say they're triggered or the levels in which we should understand their triggers. Because we're also not trained to address it if we did know, or if we didn't know. And us belittling someone's trigger because it doesn't work for us could also be a real trigger that can take them home to something different. And so I think we have to be, I think I agree with you in regards of like being aware of the words we use, but also being aware of our judgment on people's choice of words. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think if we just take the, the definition of the word trigger, it's a cause, an event or a situation that that happens. And so for for mental health or, or when we use the word trigger, we we use it more so with trauma. So these are like triggers that have happened or you have um, an event, an episode, a trauma that happened and triggers are kind of effects that bring up that trauma. So if we think about, for instance, um, PTSD, PTSD in, in combat veterans um, who haven't had it resolved, a trigger could be a loud, a really, really loud noise that triggers the event or the memory to return. So I think when a person says triggered or triggers, maybe just having the conversation to understand what they mean a little bit more when they say it, um, I think will help to clarify and clear some of those misconceptions up. Um, people do, in this day and age, we use a lot of terms loosely. People say, oh, I'm antisocial. What they really mean is they're asocial <laughs> because if you're antisocial, you're defiant, you, um, you're violent, you, you, know, you have antisocial personality disorder, and that's totally different from just not wanting to be around people or you know, wanting your space. So there are some terms that we use very wrong, and then there's terms that we just really need to have the conversation to understand what a person may mean. Um, some people also, with deep-rooted hurt or, or just experiences that they've been through, making fun of it, making light of the situation is a coping mechanism. Whether it's right or wrong is not for us to personally decide, but again, just being open to just learning and just seeing how you can maybe support or maybe even educate if you know a person is completely using something that is not in the right term if that makes sense that makes all the sense I, definitely in terms of um just continuing the conversation to see where it really needs to go um and if that does need to if that doesn't end in how can I support um, or how can I educate? I think that's, I think that's, that makes sense. Support also, I think is 
necessary across the board. But when we talk about mental health and mental wellness, I know in ways that I've been supported and I've tremendously grateful for it. Um, so I would like to have that conversation as well. Um, and what support we've each had, as well as like, just just how important that is for you all too. And also Kashana, how I know that's three questions. So <laughs> you, could, you could pick but how have you how have you seen? Um, like, what's the impact of actually having support um, on yourself on your clients? Like, you know, is that can that truly make a difference in, in a lot of folks' mental wellness? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. support is a big factor in a person's treatment. Um, so, for instance, let's take this COVID-19 that we're in. Um, there are people who don't have a social support, a family support, and they are really struggling. You know, there are people who are, you have boredom, you have isolation that leads to excessive amounts of stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, suicidal, it it leads to a lot of things. And, And there are people who don't have support in that particular instance, but people who do, um, Researchers show researchers show that people who have support it leads to more um, success in treatment. So people who support you, people who are there for you, who are not overbearing, who are here when you need them, just that does help. It, it really does help to move treatment along, move, move your progress along. And you know, I think it's important just to to make sure that you you can formulate that group. It doesn't have to be a ton of people. It could be one person, it could be two people, or if you have more, great. But it's important, definitely, not just for mental health, but physical health as well. Well, when I think of support, the word that comes to mind is accountability. And we were just talking about this the other day, Brittany, about <laughs> your face is like, eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so what our, what our conversation, what Brittany and I's conversation um, kind of turned into was trying to formulate a plan that worked for each of us separately, but in a way that we could share what we're doing so that we can keep each other accountable. Like for Brittany, it's, <laughs> it's someone who is, um, uh, I wish you could see me. <laughs> Because I, I need because somebody to hover over me. I need hover. That's I the need word. Yeah, to hover over me. I need somebody to like smack the cookies out my hand. <laughs> Where I'm, I need a little less attention. Not attention, but I need a. I need way less. Actually, don't hover. <laughs> don't hover on me. But it's you know checking in every now and then and saying, Hey, Mandisa, did you go for a run three times this week? And I'll be like, Hell yeah, I did. Thanks for checking in, friend. Um, so that's that's the main bridge to me, support, accountability. And like you said, having at least just one one person in, in your life can make all the difference because as much as I can make a to-do list, as much as I will remind myself or try and stay um, um, determined to achieve my goals, having one person positively checking in on me, not nagging me, and not berating me if I didn't meet my goals for this week, but having at least one person to say, hey, sis, you doing that thing you said you were going to do? Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah. Positively. That's the that's the that's the word right there. Positive. Right. Like, yeah. Because yeah. I can beat myself up. Like I, I've been better about not doing that and being kind and gracious and forgiving to myself when I don't hit my marks. And yeah, I don't need that from an external source. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. That's real. And I think that comes into, I think the more that we do the self work and homework on self and discovering self, you know, what friends to go to for what, you know, uh, if we are authentically ourselves and allow people to be authentically themselves and we positively and from an intrigue and love get to know one another, you know, who you can go to for support and who not to go to your community knows when you're okay and knows when they give a pause and know how to like, tap the door or send little messages to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, are you okay? And they know what your non-response looks like, but that comes through the intricacies of spending more space and time with those people that you love dearly and creating that community because that does take work to create that community. Um, it's an effort for sure, um, always, because uh, you know, you're carrying and supporting other people other than just yourself. And that takes a certain type of losing of oneself in order to be able to give someone else what they need, taking yourself out of the forefront, your ego out of the forefront to empathize and be present with someone. So I'm grateful that I have a good community surrounding me right now. And I'm happy to say, I think this is what my life will be. I love that all of us are not in our head when we're like, yeah, being intentional. Yeah. Being just being a good fucking friend. Right. Um, (laughs) Support for me looks like you know kind of the same thing Jamal like you know just ensuring that I have positive people around me I know what friends to go to about what um and then also setting boundaries with people who understand and who will adhere to that right and abide by those those boundaries and I don't may not have to explain myself they just get it right um so when I think about support, I think about when I was in college, and I, this isn't just automatic support. I'm just going to put that out there. But I think about when I was in college, it was my second year of the first school that I had attended. And I, this whole big thing had happened. Um, it was a real, like, really, really big issue. I told you I was bad. So I ended up getting, like, kicked off the basketball team because of this incident. I did not have support on campus. Like, and those who may have been able to support me, I didn't have the confidence to go and say anything to them, right? Or let people know like, hey, this person who was like on cloud nine once upon a time and, you know, knew everybody and was cool with everybody has now had folks turned on them. Like, who do you know to go to at that point, right? So I remember um, just there was a, an incident that just let me know like nobody is fucking with me right now. And I went back to my dorm and I just remember it was like probably one or two o'clock in the morning and I was bawling. Like I was bawling. And for the first time in my life, I started to have suicidal thoughts. I was looking around, I was thinking, okay, how can I do this? And and what from what I've been taught. I knew to pick up the phone and call my mom. Like, I knew to pick up the phone and call Miss McCline. <laughs> and when I did that, I just said, and I think she, she could tell I was crying. And she knew, you know, what had happened. And I just told her, I said, hey, just 
just talk to me. Just talk to me. Like, I don't want to do the talking. You just talk. And she did. She started telling me a story or stories about when I was a kid and all that stuff. And that made a world of a difference. It truly, truly did. Um, she never really asked, like, what was going on? She didn't give me the third degree. None of that stuff. She just listened to what I needed. And she executed. And she did just that. And however long we was on the phone for, when we were ending, she goes, you good? I said, I'm good. Good night. And we just, and we moved on. Um, and I could be honest, I don't think I've had um, a time in my life following that where, you know, I've had thoughts like that before. Um, but so when I talk about support, when I talk about support, that looks like what is it that the person who is asking, what is it that they need, right? So just like you were saying, Mandisa, like, you know, I need somebody to hold me accountable, but, you know, don't, don't do too much. Um, is, are we really listening to what you need and executing that? And I think that's why uh, mental health needs to be taught uh, in schools, just in regards of how we operate in society, because we don't know, we don't get to dictate, nor do we ever know what someone's response is going to be. Someone from love who's trying to be supportive, who authentically thinks they are being supportive, can trigger you in a major way. And then it's like, we can't put the blame on no one in that situation, that's just circumstantial. And so I think that just the knowledge of what mental health uh, looks like in a general sense for society within our schools. We do this at the camp that I work for in a very way that kids from eight to 18 can understand in regards of like, we advocate for each of our kids the same way. And we don't label them as good or bad, worth more or worth less. And we spend as much time with the kid who's going through something as we need to. But we'll sit in silence for an hour, but we don't force them to speak. And that's healing for them, you know? And I think that there is a way to teach kids in school. I think there should be programming at the workplace about this societal respect that we have, honoring what we know and honoring that we don't know. <laughs> uh, because you can't dictate people's responses when you go to the for support, because we also don't know what they're going through that day and that time. And we're, none of us are medical professionals. And so I think just this knowledge of what that looks like and your options, if you're met with that, the person you thought could support you, triggers you or hurt you in a, a way, knowing what the next steps could be, should be taught to people. I think you guys are just t basically taking the words out of my mouth. Um, most Yay! definitely, I think um, it, it starts with, you know, teaching children that it's okay to feel these different emotions and giving actual names to the emotions that they feel. I think that's something emotional health kind of is one of the, the grounding and the early things that needs to be taught in order to be supportive, in order to have um, mental success. And uh, I'm not in child psychology. Um, I, I would hope that you know, in 2020 or this current decade or the last decade, we are moving into that realm. Um, I, I believe in some instances we are, but there is more work that needs to be done, definitely in the workplace. Um, 
outside of the workplace, even in graduate programs still to this day. I'm just fortunate that it's just embedded in my curriculum, but it's something that needs to be just taught, just compassion is something that can make a world of difference in people's um, mental wellness. Just the smallest thing, speaking to someone, saying, hi, how's your day? You know, eye contact. We never, we really don't know. Like people think you have to do something major in order to make a difference, but it's usually some of the smallest things that we overlook ourselves or that we're not even doing for ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like that last part. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you for bringing that up because, you know, as a millennial, as a black millennial, I'm certainly intrigued of the conversations that I hear others within our generation having um, regarding mental health and mental wellness. And with working in an industry that focuses on emotional intelligence, um, you know, it's definitely a need, another growing industry. Um, and we are truly thinking about the impact of other generations, right? We're thinking about, you know, the growing generation and we're thinking about the legacies that we're leaving behind. And again, going back to the conversations I've tried to have with you know, folks in my family with my elders, um, even elders outside of my family in regards to just health in general, let alone mental health and how that conversation did not go far. And anything that I've learned was what I didn't want to do <laughs> and who I didn't want to be. So the fact that, you know, we're giving our younger generations tools and resources to, um, to just do better you know, to do better than us um, and to, I'm going to throw some trendy things out there, but, you know, to break those generational curses or those transgenerational traumas, right, to move forward past that um, and to begin the conversation of healing, we definitely, that's a conversation that we definitely need to have as a community, particularly the Black community in America. Um, it's just, the conversation around healing and how it's been hard to have that conversation for a while because we have we've damaged one another you know we, we are part of we're a part of our own trauma that I've seen Kashana tell me if I'm wrong girl that's is that in your studies am I wrong <laughs> I, I think in order to heal as a black community from uh the generational trauma it, it takes a lot I don't know all of the, the answers of how to, to, to get that to happen. But um, it definitely comes with just really understanding each other. I think having that conversation, but it, it's, a, it's an issue of not just one people, so the black community being one people, it's an issue of, of all, I think. And just that the history and how things have been swept under the rug for many, generation so it's a it's a larger scale um issue but i think at the the individual and the institutional level just of our own communities is, is teaching our our little ones our young ones and and just being there for each other how can we support each other you know 
giving, we, we know we have this knowledge. Everyone's not fortunate to have a advanced degree or even just book smart knowledge, you know, a computer to look up different resources. So sharing these resources with, you, with each other, I think is also part of that. So teach one, reach one, that whole model, I think is something that we can be doing right now. It doesn't take a lot to, to do that. And from there, hopefully, you know, that builds up while we're working through all of the other inner workings that are going to take a little bit longer to, to, to get through. I like that a lot. I tackle it from all the angles, <laughs> from all the angles. Now, Kashana, if the people wanted to learn more about you and your practice, is there a place that they can go to do that? Yes. Yeah, so I just created um, a separate mental health page um it's cash therapy k-a-s-h therapy on instagram and then also i do have a blog where i have different blog topics and posts on all aspects of wellness so from just random things of wellness how colors can influence your mood to just mental health and other health and wellness things and that link is in that bio Amazing. I want to know about those colors to inspire mood. I want to paint some, <laughs> I know. Paint some walls this summer. Right. Ooh, I feel like all of right. our faces was like, I know. <laughs> Any resources available for us um, during this time of social distancing? Yes, definitely a mindful meditation apps like Stop, Breathe, and Think. That's one of my favorites to do. Um, you know, if you're feeling, it allows you to check in with the app. So how are you feeling mentally? How are you feeling physically? And then it personalizes a meditate, a quick, easy meditation for you to do. Um, and I just like to tell people, you probably won't get it the first time or the second time or the third time, but just keep trying. Meditation is something that you have to work at, you know. Um, Definitely yoga is good. Um, essential oils, if you have like an oil diffuser, just putting essential oils, candles, de-stressing is something good. Catching up on sleep, that's something that helps with um, um, different types of stress or if you're feeling anxious. Um, you know, social media, but limited. But um, I think, you know, working out, they're doing a lot of virtual things now. For free. For free. Yeah, for free. Yeah, they're coming up with a lot of different um, things socially to to help keep you engaged. Um, How we're on Zoom doing a video conferencing, doing like a girls night, a guys night with your friends. Um, Being safe and maybe taking, like if you have a dog, going out for some fresh air dog has to go out but if you don't have a dog just be careful I don't want to encourage back any behavior but you know just fresh air is good I have a self-care bingo game that you can work towards um journal prompts as well if journaling is your thing I love that I'm excited to get all the self-care resources yeah. muchas gracias bonita <laughs> You went the only one learning. You went the only <laughs> one learning. You live in a Spanish-speaking country, so that's a fact. You're not wrong. And I should know more. Okay, that, don't ask me to say nothing else. Um, <laughs> any special words for our Black millennial community out there? 
I think, you know, again, as I mentioned before, we're in such a beautiful time where our generation is just more accepting of just overall wellness. And I believe just keep on helping each other, keep talking about it, get the word out, just, you know, having these conversations. If, you know, advocating for yourself, your, your mental wellness, I think that we're doing awesome with leading the generation, the, the years into a, a positive direction. And I think we just continue to do what we're doing and just uplifting each other and just knowing when to, knowing that we can't do it all because we do try to do it all, but just knowing when to ask for help and when to stop in self-care and take like a mindful moment is something that I think our generation could do better and work on. But I think we're doing a pretty good job so far, especially with just the resources and just where we are currently. That was beautiful. <laughs> I love that. I do need to tell myself I can't do it all. So thank you for that. Thank you for that mindful reminder. Yes, indeed. Be kind to yourself. <laughs> yes. Any last words, Mandisa, Jamal? Continue to be kind to yourselves um, and don't feel like you have to do anything, even though we, most of us are now in, in an abundance of time. Um, but don't feel pressured to do anything or come out of this, you know, some superstar restaurant chef, Olympic gymnast, super professor. Take your time, do you. Yeah. And I would offer presence, be present in what's going on right now. And in the unknown, there's a lot that we don't know. So let's uh, try to breathe and take a moment to be present and in the moment and not preparing for a disaster that we don't even see yet. Let's be present in the day and in the moment and find love. Find love, we found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> that was like a re-re-share re kind of thing. But um, I would honestly just say, you know, be mindful of the information that we're receiving. Just like we need to be mindful of social media, we need to be mindful of, um, you know, where we're getting our information from and who we're getting our information from. Um, there's a lot of information out there and not all of it is true. <laughs> and you'll make yourself go crazy trying to figure out what is. Um, yeah, so just be critical and analytical of the information that we're receiving and listen to the professionals. Amen. How's Scientists, that? doctors. Doctors, people with, who spent all that money to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and praise that the money. Lord. Thank you, pastor. But they're not scientists. So also listen, faith without works is dead. Wash right. your hands. Pray inside. <laughs> Pray while you wash your hands. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, this was, as always, such a fulfilling conversation, um, a necessary conversation. I value um, definitely everyone's perspective. Um, and Kashana, I definitely value all that you brought to this conversation, all the information and resources that you've given us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I was really excited and honored to be here sharing this space with you all. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All love. Thank you. Appreciate you. Much gratitude. Thank you so much. I <laughs> too look forward to those self-care tips. Thank you. Definitely. We'll
Thank you so much to our listeners and our supporters out there. If you're not following us already, be sure to find us on Instagram at Living Millennial PC. That's at Living Millennial PC. And on Facebook, Living Millennial Podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Be sure to rate and review us as well. We certainly appreciate it. This is Living Millennial. Wait, wait. We actually have a brand new ending segment. This segment is called The Black Hand Side. Now, I know some of y'all got an uncle out there who thinks he's so funny, and y'all may have even heard that term before. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably the uncle who thinks she's so funny. The Black Hand Side. Y'all heard of that, right? So let's end the show with a brand new segment. This segment is called The Black Hand Side. I know y'all heard that term before because I know y'all have an uncle out there who thinks he's so funny and said, give me five on the black hand side. Give me five on the black hand side. I'm not going to lie. I was probably that uncle who thought she was so funny. (laughs) Talk about some give me five on the black hand side. But the black hand side is a segment that is giving a high five to the black community and the black millennial community out there who's doing the work and who's doing very special work. So today's segment, a light of all that's happening right now, a lot of us are staying home because of the coronavirus uh, and trying to keep one another safe. The essential workers out there, particularly the hospital workers and our healthcare professionals, Big black hand side high five to you all. We know you're out there putting in the work, doing overtime, putting in extra hours, um, going above and beyond to keep health, hope, and honesty alive. Y'all know what I mean by honesty because, you know, we got a lot of information out there. I've been seeing a lot of folks putting out information and giving us resources that are necessary. And uh, I just want to give a big kudos and a big black hand side high five to y'all. You deserve it. We certainly appreciate all the work that you are doing. And I pray that you are granted an abundance of rest (laughs) following this, which probably won't happen because there's still going to be sick people out there unfortunately but you guys keep doing your thing we certainly appreciate y'all here at living millennial podcast big kudos big kudos thank you all right friends that's our show tune in next time hey more to come more 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 to come be sure to subscribe to our show follow us on ig and tell us what you think